the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Welcome back. Today, I'm, I'm excited about the movie we're doing specifically because I know this is one of your favorites. It is one of my favorites. And I feel like it's a movie that people have heard of, um, but maybe have never seen or, you know, they were like, that, my mom loved that movie. And that movie is Working Girl. Man, it is such a solid film. It never stops. And it it's almost a perfectly told story i feel like it's very fairy tale um like in a lot of ways but it's you know set in the heart of new york city and very much not a fairy tale and i didn't know this was one of your favorites i was when i was i was thinking like we needed to do like an anniversary of a movie yeah and this um, is the 30th anniversary yeah pretty big deal i was looking for movies that came out 1988 and like kind of going through going through it's like i saw a few and I was like well we already did that director and then I saw Working Girl I was like oh that's a good you know Mike Nichols good director mm-hmm. um, and then when I brought it up to you you were like yes I want to do Working Girl <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised that you brought it up honestly yeah. it's just not um, I, I don't think I've ever heard not to be super gendered or anything but I don't think I've ever heard any guy go man I really love Working Girl yeah I don't know th- I don't know those were the words that came out of my mouth <laughs> <laughs> probably not Probably not. I I will admit, though, um, I know this movie because of my mom. My mom loved it, and it affected me um, in a lot of ways whenever you've gotten fired or left a job, anything to do with having a job or maybe having a hard time. I think that universally it's a movie that mm-hmm. is identifiable of, like, yeah, starting out. New. Yeah, in a workplace, like over. a new work environment, yeah. Uh, trying to prove yourself. Exactly. I feel like if, if you've ever gotten fired or if, if you got fired today, you should really just go watch Working Girl immediately. Or at the very least, the the signature Carly Simon song. Just listen to the song, which... is <laughs> so I'm inspirational. Ma- I know I mention this every podcast. What music was in the movie that we're doing? <laughs> that's what I'm blasting in my car. Uh-huh. So a lot, a lot of Carly Simon was played in my car the last mm-hmm. last week or so and i can't and help did, but feel inspired every yeah. time i listen to it and i feel too like there did they record like 30 versions of that song yeah the i think i think it was yeah you told me that the musical score is is it credited as carly simon or is it someone else but with a song that's been adapted in a billion different the same song yeah. that's altered it yeah. is altered, but there's also like just when I was listening to, there's like different versions. Like she did an acoustic version, and yeah. then there's like a version with a choir, and or she's just like humming, know, but yeah, over the whole thing. Uh, but all like fantastic. Yeah. You know. So yeah. So we're doing the 30th anniversary. Happy 30th anniversary to Working Girl. Mm-hmm. We will talk about that movie. Our pick of the weeks. What's your pick of the week? My pick of the week uh, to relate it to Working Girl, mm-hmm. I chose uh, Pacific Heights, which starred Melanie Griffith. I have not seen that movie. Really? You're going to have to let me okay. borrow that. All right. Yeah, I will let you borrow it. And that, that was a really Working Girl and Pacific Heights are like the, really the two that I could, when I was researching, the only two main Melanie Griffith films that were, would be considered like hits. You know, I don't know why that's so surprising to me because I feel like I've seen... Count, or maybe I have seen countless Melanie Griffith movies. It just feels like she's she's always a big name. I think of her as a as a blockbuster movie actress. Yeah. Well, I thought she carried both movies. Yeah. I mean, she's been she's been the lead in a lot of movies, but Cherry well, what I could see, you're gonna. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Just wait till you see Cherry Two Thousand. I saw I saw it in the bag that you brought over. <laughs> well, my pick this week is uh, related to. Uh, Working Girl by way of one of my favorites, Sigourney Weaver. Love that woman. I don't think there's anything that she can do that's bad. Um, but it is uh, 1995's Copycat. It's a psychological thriller 
we'll get into that a little bit later. So I know you 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 brought that for me to watch as well, which mm-hmm. I saw that movie when it came out, and I honestly don't remember much about it. Yeah. Um, but then it's you, unfortunate. It you, got forgotten. You'd mentioned that you'd read that Sigourney Weaver said that it was one of her roles that she was most proud of, and I I've seen it so many times, and it never uh, it never gets old. I like that we do these pick of the weeks for nothing else other than generally we end up like, just like bring the dang movie over. Yeah. I'm watching it. Uh, I like that. We should just watch each other's movies directly after recording the yeah. podcast. Some Sometimes that's the case. Yeah. Like you leave and I'm like, well, <laughs> shut my computer off and turn on the Guess television. it's time. Yeah. Uh, I put on Copycat at 1 a.m. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly what you sound like too. Yeah. It was a good spot on <laughs> uh, and then uh, of course we end each uh, episode with our Murray moment I say it every time but I never know what you're going to do and I'm, I, I, I just want to keep it that way it's hard sometimes because I want to ask you there are a couple different avenues I could have gone with this one but I chose not to, yeah. to well now you. if you ask me I'll just no you'll be answered with my silence so we've got a discussion on Working Girl, we've got our picks of the week, we've got our Murray moment, but before we uh, start a discussion, uh, Lindsay, can you tell us a little bit, what, 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 what are we going to talk about with Working Girl, and um, can you give us a summary of the movie? I always, in the event that, I just always worry it's like there's no context if like, in case you haven't seen the movie, when we do these, you're just like, well, what are we talking about? What are they talking about? Makes total sense. You don't want to go into this blind. Um, one, we're going to talk about the importance of the uh, two female uh, lead characters, especially um, during this time in the 80s, um, uh, women in the professional uh, area of uh, being in the uh, business arena was kind of like a big thing in the 80s. So kind of talk about the importance of being a woman in the business world, how that works with the whole entire plot of this movie and then i think we're gonna go into talking about the cast we've got you know big hitters uh melanie griffith uh sigourney weaver and harrison ford which interestingly enough he might be on the cover of of the movie but he he's definitely in a supporting role and in, in 1988 you know he was not a supporting actor in 1988 yeah yeah and got top billing as well yeah um and I think it's good to talk about the cast in the sense that we had talked about this uh, last week. All three of these actors haven't won an Oscar. What is going on with that? Yeah. Uh, well, for, for some of you that, that don't know, the, the plot of Working Girl um, is uh, basically when an up-and-coming, um, quietly brave secretary that's played by Melanie Griffith um, gets this brilliant idea that she has stolen by her boss played by Sigourney Weaver um, who happens to uh, be laid up in the hospital for a few weeks Um, Melanie Griffith's character seizes um, and jumps on the opportunity to steal the idea back and basically assume the role of her boss again the 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 plot of this movie there were a, a lot of things in the 80s where it was this idea of uh succeeding like that was but you're that that's the ultimate thing to do especially in the world of business um so it's kind of playing on that but from the point of view of a woman which you know this didn't really happen a lot during that time so before we start our discussion we'll go into our first clip and uh, this is one where uh, melanie griffith has just recently gotten a job uh, working with Sigourney Weaver, and um, she's talking to her boyfriend, played by Alec Baldwin, about how excited she is about the job, and he's uh, not as enthused. It's just, it's so exciting. I mean, she takes me seriously. And I think it's because, and I know you hate when I say this, but I think it's because she's a woman. There's none of that chasing around the desk crap. And it's like she wants to be my mentor, which is exactly what I needed. I mean, I feel like I'm finally getting somewhere, Mick. Yes, that's great, but let's step on it or the pizza's going to freeze, honey. Come on. Maybe we could all go out sometime, you know, dinner in the city. You would like her, I think. So this is a movie where really is we have these two uh, dynamic characters, uh, Melanie Griffith and Sigourney Weaver in... They are on different uh, playing fields, like mm-hmm. you know. And again, this is a movie that I think uh, 
doesn't just show like women in the workplace in the eighties, uh, what that world is, but also the sort of level of classism in the eighties mm-hmm. and the movie sort of like skirts down the middle of both of those. But right now I wanted to, we wanted to focus more on like women in the workplace and why this movie is important and why it kind of hits the mark really well for its place in film history. I feel like the Melody Griffith character in this movie is different from a a lot of um, any movies where there was a woman trying to come up in the place of business or any, even like I love nine to five, but even like nine to five, um, I feel like the Melanie Griffith character really embodies this idea of being incredibly ambitious. She is self-reliant um, but she also has this willingness to learn and is not afraid to back down, always stands up for herself. And this is something, uh, you know, that we said before, like she's she's starting out with this from the onset. And what's interesting is the dynamic between she and Sigourney Weaver um, being two representations of different classes of, of women in a professional field, that being uh, one that is trying to come up in the world and then one that has already, quote unquote, made it, right? So we have this idea on how one is trying to inspire the other, or how they are inspiring the other, and then the you know conflict then comes when one kind of screws the other one over and then the Melanie Griffith character reverse tries to not really get her back, but like tries to steal her idea back. Um, in, in no way do I ever feel that this is catty or that this is stereotypically like, um, emotional or like a, something a woman would do. It seems like a very, um, I feel like the whether it was by direction or by the story itself it feels like this is just what would happen in that situation and not because this is a female character but by presenting this confidence in both of these female characters it feels like a very positive movie um for that to happen in and i and i think too what you mentioned earlier in the podcast about Harrison Ford really not really being a secondary character mm-hmm. I do like that his placement in this film uh, reinforces the role that Tess is trying to play. Uh, I think there's a scene where he he get, she's there she's got the idea to kind of crash that wedding, and uh, he gets really upset and she's like, "Don't yell at me!" And he's like, "I'm I'm not yelling at you. I'm concerned because he's looking yeah. at her as a peer. He's not looking at her as a uh, a woman or somebody who's like l- lower than him." He, he he's he's looking her as like the lead person on this and he's feeling like his ego is a little bit bruised but at the same time he's like I'm putting my career on the line here I mean he trusts yeah. her that much you know he's he's in that he's put in the time and he believes in like her idea and he's he's following her lead and I think he might even say that once or twice um you know with the her saying the the line about don't yell at me um, it is a really interesting point. Like you said, like he's looking at her like a business colleague. And in that moment, it's one of the only moments I feel like she's looking at him like a, like a, uh, like a almost just a male character, not necessarily a colleague, but that being that she's green, you know, in that way and not kind of reverts back to being treated like crap or something by her ex-boyfriend at the time. Yeah, and I think even if there's that flash of like a boyfriend yelling at her, mm-hmm. as soon as he explains himself, she's cool. Rationally, she's like, "Got it," you know. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and again, it's just like that's what I love about her character in this is that um, she can assess a situation very quickly and is like on her feet, you know, like you know, minute for minute. Like mm-hmm. something happens, she, you know she realizes maybe I'm in too deep, but then like she assesses the situation and then like, all right, here we go. Here, yeah. You know, here quick, quick, quick to think, you know, quick and to is come this the character? Idea. Is this the character or is this just Melanie Griffith? We can get into that a little right, bit. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, I, th- I like, I think part of it's the character, but I do think it's a good, it's a good build on an arc. And I think that's what makes mo- this movie fascinating. I think in general, that's what makes movies to me like, uh, 
I get real sucked in and I get real passionate about a movie when I feel mm-hmm. like I'm rooting for a character in that I feel like they're confident. I never do. I really feel worried about her character, but I still feel like maybe she won't come out of this, you know, but I, you keep seeing her kind of just like scrape her teeth a little bit. Like she's still making it. Like to me, this is an, I, 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 this has a really, I don't know if this sounds strange, but this is like a very Rocky vibe for me. And I use Rocky as a way of like certain movies that have that vibe of like the underdog in, but I think her character is like stronger than a Rocky character because she doesn't, she's not there to take, that's not her thing is to take abuse. You know, she, as soon as that abuse comes, she's like, all right, I'm, I'm done. This, that, this fight's over. I'm moving into a different, you know, whatever. Um, but it does have that sort of vibe of like the underdog um, trying to prove themselves and like ultimately being victorious. So we'll go to uh, another clip. Um, but and then we'll get into our discussion uh, on the actors. And then uh, Lindsay, I'm real wanted to talk to you a little bit about why uh, this is uh, one of your favorite movies. Uh, so this clip is when uh, another uh, scene where Sigourney Weaver is giving uh, Melanie Griffith some wisdom, some advice, even if it's not under the best of conditions. Tess, you know you don't get anywhere in this world by waiting for what you want to come to you. You make it happen. Watch me, Tess. Learn from me. Oh, by the way, you know, I ran your Trask radio idea by some of our people. Seems Trask is dead set on television. But hey, it wasn't out in left field either. I really liked the idea. You just keep plugging and bring me your ideas and we'll see what we can do. Thank you, Catherine. Tess. Tess, look at me. Who makes it happen? I do. Who does? I do. I make it happen. That's right. Only then do we get what we deserve. All right, so who makes it happen? I do. I make it happen, Justin. I love that scene. I know. And it's the one right before... You realize, um, yeah, things aren't equal uh, between Sigourney and Melanie Griffith. But it is a really inspirational scene. Granted, Melanie Griffith is, you know, forming Sigourney Weaver's boots to her feet in a very subservient way. Right. Um, And that is something that's not to be looked past. But at, at the same time. But I feel like it's said in a way of like, you know, you can someone will be putting your boots on in the future, like kind of thing. It is extremely you know. literal in that yeah. way. Yeah. Watch me, Tess. Learn from me. Right. Exactly. The The cast in this is impeccable. I have to say, I uh, Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver, Melanie Griffith, amazing actors all in their same right and to put, all, put them all in the same movie, um, I, I think it would be hard to not have a movie that works. We mentioned before that none of these actors have ever won an Academy Award, which is mind blowing to me. It, I can I, un- I can understand Melanie Griffith and Harrison Ford, but Sigourney Weaver. That's I don't get it. It's just kind of crazy. I don't get it. Sigourney is like one of my one of my faves because I I can't really name one movie that I dislike her in. And this movie, like this, is one of the only ones where she plays a villain. I feel like I mean villain, quote unquote, but. Yeah, she's, I mean, she is a very well-versed theater actor who's even in, in sometimes in, in movies been made fun of for by her castmates for how serious she is. Yeah. Um. Yeah, blows my mind. And I, I think like what, I, I think with Mel- Melanie Griffith, I can, I can understand, like I think she's perfect for this role and I think mm-hmm. that this is her best role that she's, that Agreed. I've seen her in. Because her, she does have a particular style that's like a little bit, um, it's 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 a range that's like suitable for certain movies and roles. Like I and like I would say she would be, she is with way more depth. And this is not putting down this actress at all, but with a little more depth, she is like the modern day Marilyn Monroe. I would say, 
and um, she's just as beautiful. But I think even Marilyn Monroe had had a lot of talent too. I think though that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But um, she Melanie Griffith is not a one trick pony. She is very talented. She's a good actress. Um, but yeah, I think like you were saying, Working Girl, she should have gotten an Oscar for this. Or yeah. I mean, she was nominated. And Harrison Ford, uh, not nominated for this movie, which I totally understand. I mean, his his role is, is kind of funny. It's pretty not not super noteworthy, but I but he's only been nominated for Witness out of all the movies he's done in his that career. Seems unfair. But I do think that he has that uh, he carries along that uh, this sort of like movie star mm-hmm. uh franchise person you know franchise actor so it doesn't mean he's a bad actor um, no no he's I, a I love great actor. I, I, I love harrison ford and i i like i like what he brings to this movie i think the cast to this movie is great and joan cusack who is someone that i think man really got pigeonholed like through the 80s and then mm. never really got out from underneath that role that the best friend role yeah um, i think she's a <laughs> tremendous totally right. i think she's a tremendous actress and i think yeah she was forever kind of stuck in this mm-hmm. role, but this was like early in her career, like doing, doing it, you know, perfectly yeah. to a T. Um, yeah. Joan Cusack, I feel like is, is one character that people remember from this movie because she is very visually memorable as is Melanie Griffith's character. When she first starts out in this movie, they're both very like, I mean, I don't know. Is it a Jersey look? Are we going for like high hair, 80s, like exaggerated makeup, bangles? Like there's a lot going on. I, I think that she does play a pivotal role in this movie in the sense that she, there's a scene and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but she says something along the lines of, you know, if you think that Mr. Briefcase is going to sweep you off your feet. Yeah. And that's not what Melanie Griffith is thinking. Melanie Griffith sure. has got a, her her head is in a completely different place. But Melanie Griffith's boyfriend has like literally just cheated on her three days before he proposes yeah. to her. And Joan Cusack's character again is coming at her with like, "You think you can get better than that?" You know, like yeah. And she's trying to tell her the life that you know this is this is all your this is all the, you should be lucky that you have so much. Yeah. And it, it's strange because it's like she's like trying to give her this reality check, but we, the viewer watching Melanie Griffith, already see like where Melanie Griffith is at. But I think it's good that Joan Cusack's character is there um, because I think she's the push that gives Tess that, or she gives Tess that extra push, you know, because she she doesn't believe in her. You know, she even says, uh, uh, Joan Cusack says something like just because I dance around in my underwear doesn't mean I'm Madonna and I never will be. And mm-hmm. she is only seeing Tess as like playing this role. Not, not that she could actually become the role. Exactly. And I, I don't think that that is any fault of that character. I think it's just what we see as the viewer. So her from the best friend point of view, this is what she's seeing and she's being, she is being a supportive friend. Yeah. Um, we're seeing the whole gamut of actually what's going on. And and yeah, and even though that's there, I think if like you omitted her calling Joan Kuzak at the end and Joan Kuzak like putting her arms up in the air, <laughs> like and like focusing in on that, like uh-huh. while the music swells, I think if you omitted that, even though her character didn't believe in her, it wouldn't the ending wouldn't have the punch that it has. Mm-hmm. Like that sort of like you know Because like, she's been yeah. there the whole yeah. movie. And she uh uh, you know, Melanie Griffith like proved wrong. It's like, no, I, you know, guess where I am. Like, you know, yeah. And it's, it's, it, I think it is a, uh, I, yeah, I think the casting and the characters are, are what makes this movie so great. I think that it, what gives the movie drive and it, it's what makes it so engrossing. Just before we close out our discussion on Working Girl, um, this being one of your favorites, I just kind of wanted to get a little bit of, uh, where are you, you know, how, how this movie, you know, is this something that you grew up watching and how, how this movie, it's always interesting to me when someone says something is their favorite movie, like the genesis of that, like, um, how that came to be. So do you mind just kind of give me a little bit of, <laughs> no, not at all. You know? Um, I for sure, um, will always blame my mom for my love of this movie because I, I think that she, 
was um was always someone that was trying to be a brave confident person in the workplace like she wasn't a stay-at-home mom there's nothing wrong with that um but that she was um being a working mother and trying to be respected and you know as i got older here you know hearing stories about how she wasn't respected and so i think she looked to working girl um, because my mom loves movies that's why i do um as something that was inspirational i feel like um I always got that vibe from from the movie and one thing that I've always appreciated about it is that every character in it is independent by themselves. So we've got strong woman, strong strong woman number 1, strong woman number 2, man that is somewhat incidental and the romantic part of the story is kind of a subplot. Um and that it is a story about success that is not um, I think I referenced to you Michael J. Fox's The Secret of My Success, which is nothing to be, um, it is not an inspirational movie. It is a story about cunning and like no- nothing cool. Um, this is a movie about um, being confident, realizing who you are, and um, um, no matter what you have to do, um, it in a lot of ways, the working girl is very cutthroat, like even more than like uh, Wall Street, like of the same, like I forget when Wall Street came out, if it was like 89 or something, but right around the same time, it's, it's kind of, maybe it was before that 87. Um, but in a lot of ways, I feel like working girl is very cutthroat in that way. Um, and but to me, watching it as a youngster and as an adult, it was always inspiring. And I think that that hit a crux in my life. Um, like the first and only time um, that I got fired from a job, and it was a complete surprise. And when that happened, the first thing I did, and I'm not joking, the first thing I did when I got in my car and like had a little cry. Um, was I put on the Carly Simon song from Working Girl and I went home and I friggin' watched that movie and I cried a lot, but it made me feel better at that time when you feel just like alone and just like, things aren't going to get better right now. But, um, I feel like Working Girl is a very inspiring movie and no matter how you look at it, how the female characters interact or, or or there's so much in this movie to pull you up by your bootstraps and um kind of push you to go on yeah it's that's amazing like anytime you hear a movie can be inspiring but in a way of like you know it's uh movies can do that you know what i mean and um the only thing i last thing i wanted to add about this, you know, this movie was a big success and I was trying to look up, I was trying to think of like, okay, anytime a movie is a big success in Hollywood, this movie made something like a hundred million dollars in the mm-hmm. late eighties for a, you know, mildly budgeted movie that w- it was like a big success. And mm-hmm. usually the trend in Hollywood is, is like, this was a success. These are the stories that people want to see. Like if a Western did good in the nineties, you'd see like five Westerns come out, whether people wanted them or not, you know, mm-hmm. um, Hollywood just like people want to see westerns again and so they make like five of them uh but you didn't see a string of like movies about strong female characters working in the workplace that came out after this and um I actually like went and looked up I was like trying to find you know like did this trend out and it the 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 closest thing I could find was like Aaron Brockovich which came out like 12 years later it's quite a long time Um, after but one thing about this movie I think in the you know like there was another movie in the 80s that came out maybe a year before this called Baby Boom. And it sure. was like, yeah. but but that that's the thing is like, the big focus was it's like a woman trying to work in a workplace, but she has a kid. And this movie is not really a, um, they never really stop the movie and say, well, what about kids? You know, mm-hmm. they don't ever, they don't, it's never a question like, can you, you know, that that's not something that comes into play. And I, I don't know, it was just something that stuck out to me um, on the last watch that I did that, I was, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, I think going along with that, this movie has a thing that is mixing 
um, almost like a fairy tale type of story in with um, the reality that was in the late 80s. So we've got um, uh, the, this idea of like a, a powerless, um, uh, ugly duckling of sorts um, that's turned into this sexy swan in some ways, right? Um, mixed with the uh, reality of this like uh, woman that's incredibly perseverant um, in in a world that is male dominated. So this we've got this reality and then this fake reality. And I think this movie does a good way, a good thing of like combining those things. Um, and I I don't think that it's necessarily like completely reality based. Be, but I think that. Um, the mixture of those things is what helps to create a good movie. Yeah, I agree. It's and uh, I'll go back to my uh, why the the my rock the Rocky vibe I get from yeah. this is like yeah. a, a, like a fairy tale story, but yet it's based in like a gr- has like a gritty realism to sure. it. Um, but it's like also like a really entertaining movie. Like mm-hmm. all, everything's like all combined into one. Um, but yeah, a uh, really great film. I, I really have enjoyed like kind of going through this one you know and i really challenge you to write down all of the quotes from this movie because there are some there are some real good ones what a slob you were so smooth with him i probably would have never burned bridges today's junior prick tomorrow's senior partner so how do you think the party's going pretty well i think should i stop serving now Mm, better make one more round right i'd love to help you but you can't busy the quarterback with passing out the Gatorade. Arnie, my hero, you come. I mean, these are life lessons, really. Every quote is a life <laughs> lesson. Watch the movie. You will extrapolate all of these quotes from this movie. Really take in Joan Cusack's hair and eye makeup. Um, yeah, and this movie, you know, aside from the, the look, again... It, any movie that we do from the 80s it's like you you know there's this movie you hold up and it's like of course the look of this movie is 80s but it has something that it's almost like a it's like this great movie but in like a time capsule sure sort of i mean way. aside it's, from shoulder pads and right. like kind of like bigger curly hair whatever it holds up yeah i agree all right well thank you for uh sharing your My love intimate of the, yeah, your intimate yes. intimateness of this. <laughs> of this. Um, I am more than happy to share um, what Working Girl meant to me. I think a, a lot of it stems from my childhood, and then it was it was uh, even though through not like the best experience as an adult, it it was it was so cathartic. Yeah, I think I like texted you like three options of like, I was like, Oh, I think we should do like an anniversary movie. And then like, this was one of the ones I put in there and it was like, I just like, no question. You were like, all of these are good. And then there was like a lot of exclamation points about us doing rookie girls. So I was like, all right, let's do it. So thanks for sharing your thoughts on, you know, what, how this movie like was a big part of your, I hope it inspires um, somebody to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our pick of the week. Um, our picks of the week as always we try to um, each watch a movie each pick a movie that uh, we both feel is uh, not necessarily the greatest movie in the world but it's one that you know we think deserves a little bit of attention and we try to connect it to our main uh, movie of discussion um, I picked Pacific Heights which I uh, connected via Melanie Griffith I usually go for the easy way to connect a movie which Whatever. is fine but you know you know what that's my that's my deal yeah that's fine and tell you, me a little bit about it uh pacific heights well, what was your pick before i mine is copycat with sigourney weaver from 1995 so i'm glad they were both doing uh, thrillers from the 90s because i think these are two of the better that came out during that time especially when there was just so many in the wake of the success of uh fatal traction um thrillers involving a uh, crazy roommate, crazy, crazy babysitter, crazy temp, or uh, movies dealing with uh, serial killers and that being tied like crime thrillers. Um, the Pacific Heights follows along the model of the the same, like I said, the, him being the crazy tenant. And uh, the story revolves around Melanie Griffith and Matthew Modine 
they're a young couple who decide to buy a fixer-upper in San Francisco, the idea being that they'll be able to rent out two of the uh, units once the place is fixed, but because they're sinking their entire savings into it, if this plan doesn't work out, they're both uh, done for. And so they there's a lot of pressure to get these places rented after they fix it up, and because of the pressure, they end up renting to Michael Keaton, he sort of swabs his way in because he's got a Porsche and is wearing a suit, and they don't sign a lease with him, and he ends up moving in, and his deal is, is he knows all the ways to uh, take advantage of uh, landlords, and, and he knows the system very well, so eventually starts uh, becoming very creepy, creating havoc on their lives to the point where they want to kick him out, but now that they can't, then he eventually starts tearing up their places, doing a lot of other malicious, really uh, kind of crazy things, and we start to learn that this isn't the first time he's done this before. Uh, what I do like about this movie is is that it's, it's, you sort of get two movies in one. Uh, the first half is kind of what we've seen before, like I said, that pattern, that model of a movie. Uh, he's the crazy tenant. But the second half of the movie uh, is what I find to be more interesting. And the first half of the movie is kind of Matthew Modine's movie. He's gets to really, uh, you know, he's like the stressed out partner that is, is angry and, and uses violence as a way to solve problems. And the second half of the movie uh, becomes a Melanie Griffith's film where she takes it on her own. She decides to be more cunning and says you know Michael Keaton ruined our lives so I'm gonna go ruin his so she starts tracking him down and trying to do all the things to him uh, that he did to them and, and ruin his life and, and you know show people that he's a fraud um, and so gets a little cat and mousey but again I think the performances are really strong and like I said because we've get this uh, two movies in one we, we kind of switch gears after the first part the movie just doesn't end with uh, them kicking him out of their house, which I think is where most movies like this during that time period would have ended. Um, and Melanie Griffith and Matthew Modine are really great in this, um, but really the the thing I like the most about is Michael Keaton. I think he's always been the actor that has surprised people. Um, you know, he started out doing comedy and people didn't think that he could do a dramatic turn and then he turned in a great performance in Clean and Sober, uh, if you haven't seen it. And people didn't think that he could be an action star and be, play Batman, and I thought did that really perfectly. And I think this is uh, him playing a really chilling, kind of creepy character. I think he does that really well. I think he has a really a wide range, and this is one of his uh, uh, sort of not as talked about roles, and I think it's kind of nice. It's not so one-note. I think he adds a little depth there. Um, they do make him sort of unnecessarily psychotic at times, but I think it works in the realm of a thriller. I think this is a very entertaining, this is one of those ones where it's the perfect, uh, Sunday afternoon. You want to throw something on and, uh, just kind of be entertained for, for about two hours. I think movies like that, um, whether it's like a home invasion or anything that's so intimate like that um to me no matter no matter if you have a lot of suspension of disbelief or or not like those are always going to get me i would really like to borrow that from you from that description i purposefully did not read up on the subject matter since i've not seen it so i would like to borrow that from you yeah. if you own it i i do okay yeah i'd like to own that i watched or my own, watch that. i watched my own personal copy Okay. That you can borrow after this podcast. It makes sense that we we'll actually swap own out. all these we'll, movies. We'll swap out uh, our picks of the week. Picks of the week. Yeah. Makes sense. So you picked Copycat, which is a movie that I can't really remember. I know I saw, and I'm a huge uh, true crime fan. So, it, like, I read it's back a good up one on for that. Like, Man, I got, you know, I kind of remember this, and I remember, mm -hmm. like, Harry Connick Jr.'s in it. and <laughs> Which is uh, hilarious. Right. <laughs> Um, uh, so I'm also a hardcore sucker for a good thriller, especially if it has to do with, uh, a serial killer or a true crime story or a fictional one inspired by true events. Uh, so copycat is starring Sigourney Weaver. I'm sorry, is starring working girl Sigourney Weaver. Um, it's about a uh, San Francisco serial killer who's grotesquely, recreating multiple murder scenes from famous serial killers of the past um and yet again 
I, I know I've already said this, but Sigourney is flawless. Um, this time with her portrayal as an agoraphobic um, expert psychologist who has who has had serial killers on the brain for over 20 years or something like that. Um, she's an all-around smarty pants, intuitive woman who has the unfortunate talent of understanding the minds of serial killers more than pretty much anyone. Um, I mean, I, I love this woman as an actress. She's always a master at everything she does and copycat is no exception. Um, that being said, definitely not to be outdone. Holly Hunter also stars in this movie and gives a top notch performance, um, as the lead cop on the tail of the serial killer, um, uh, her character is easily comparable to Clarice Starling of Silence of the Lambs, um, but um, Hunter is is um, she's way too particular and has way too many personal touches um, to this performance that uniquely sets her apart from you know our old dear old Clarice. Um, from the outset, this movie starts out running. We know. Um, that we're in for a stalker killer type of thriller um, throw in a cop story and agoraphobic angle slightly suggested sensual tension I'm sorry sexual tension um, you know snarky dark humor sprinkled in um, and this all under multiple different types of murders um, that have no pattern that keep you guessing um, there are so few slow moments in this movie um, and if you don't know a lot about serial killers or, you know, historic ones of the past, this movie is a great mini lesson on that subject. Um, or for that matter, what agoraphobia is. I didn't know when I was, you know, 11 or 12, however old I was, um, and how it's handled and how um, Sigourney did a lot of research um, on agoraphobia uh, for this part. And she nailed it pretty uh, expertly, as expected. I'm going to stop going off on how much I love her okay I promise do you like Sigourney Weaver I might a little bit just wait till I talk about death and the maiden we'll get there okay um um so years after the after the movie's release Sigourney Sigourney would state that um she was extremely proud of this movie actually and she went on to say that um at the time we had already kind of touched on this that the thriller market was so saturated at the time and she felt like um, copycat never got the attention that it deserved, but she was always super proud of that movie. Um, um, a little fun kind of throw in that Justin mentioned is that, you know, Harry Connick Jr. does play in an imprisoned, playful, sick, backwoods serial killer ex obsessed with um, Sigourney's character, um, which is really funny, if, especially if you like Harry Connick Jr., because he is not at all uh at all what you were used to seeing him as um and he does it really well too um uh and also the lovable uh dermot mulroney um who i've always liked that guy is an actor too yeah i like him yeah um he plays holly hunter's partner kind of the watson to her sherlock in the most sensitive of ways um, so the paranoia, tension, and the stalky creep factors are on super high in this one. Um, if you love Sigourney Weaver, this is totally a must. It's a great movie, um, and it kind of makes you feel a little bit like you're an investigator yourself, which is always fun. Yeah, I, uh, I hope I didn't steal your your thunder on the, the Sigourney Weaver uh, quote in the beginning, but that's when you no. told me that, that really wanted, that's what really wanted me to what, what was the quote her saying that this was like one of her proudest oh movies. No, no no i mean um, i love that she even said that because i i've always liked this movie but then when i when i saw that i was like man i'm i'm glad that she feels the same cause, way because anytime i hear yeah. a, an actor say something like oh this is my you know of all the films i've done this is my favorite i that's like yeah immediately i'm like oh, i gotta go rewatch that you know what was it you know? yeah it, once you leave tonight, I'm probably going to be watching Copycat. Just wait till you get to him saying yeah. squirrel covers. That's all I got to say. Like like on your ride home, just, you know, be like, yeah. I can't you're, wait you're for you like, to watch every like, scene with yeah. Harry Connick Jr. and Copycat. Because um, he's he's very like, uh, <laughs> like when I think of Harry Connick Jr., I just think of like this like sort of like very uh, 
like the, the, the cleanest performer that you can, you mm-hmm. know, imagine. So it's, it's like they were like, so Harry, you're going to be in copycat and we're going to have you play like the worst version of someone that's not you at all. That's what we're going to have you be right now, actually. And I, I'm uh, the other thing I, I don't want you to tell me because I'm I'm excited to watch the mm-hmm. movie is w- what the uh, I'm excited for you to I'm, watch. I'm the movie. curious because I can't remember what the copycat murders were. OK, well. Is it that time? It is that time. OK. You know what? I don't really think at this point we've we're we're at, what are we seven episodes in? Uh, this is your Murray moment. Because I rarely wear underwear, and when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. If you know Bill Murray, you've seen or at least know of Ghostbusters. Um, The first one is a magical feat. The directors Ivan Reitman and writers Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, who also starred, of course, um, were at the top of their game. This movie was supremely executed by the entire cast. It's a solid story about a completely unbelievable subject, that being four guys who catch ghosts around New York and stop an apocalypse. No big, right? Um, Now... With Ghostbusters 2, which happened to be Sigourney Weaver's next film after Working Girl in 1989, um, this sequel didn't end up being um, Billy's most favorite. Um, He said that the sequel was, quote, unsatisfying to him, and that the first one was a near-perfect film, which we both could agree upon, um, but that that first one had the goods, he said. Um, Years later... Uh, there was this uh, this idea for a sequel um, that had been pitched by Aykroyd and Ramis. The guys got together, had a lot of laughs, and even though Murray was reluctant on it, um, they all decided to push forward on the project. When Billy, and this is according to him, when he arrived on the set um, to start filming, he said that it just wasn't the same movie um, that he signed on for anyway. He ended up being very disappointed with the final project, Um, he also was not too stoked about the special effects. Um, I feel like, um, before I actually knew kind of the, um, nitty gritty about this, I feel like you can kind of sense that Billy's, um, he had a certain disinterest if you rewatch the movie now. Like, maybe I thought that when I was, er, when I was younger, um, but I feel like you can kind of sense that when you rewatch it now. It's not overt. But I think that it's not the same Peter Venkman that we remember from the 1984 classic. Um, He has said that there were a lot of good laughs in the sequel, a lot of funny scenes, or I should actually say a few funny scenes, not a lot. Um, But it just wasn't the same movie he signed on to do. Um, He said that it felt like it was more about the franchise of Ghostbusters rather than an actual movie or a, a sequel itself. Um, it's funny how things work though. Um, Billy dragging his feet on Ghostbusters 3 was in direct response, um, to his feelings on what happened with the initial sequel and the underwhelming critical reception of it. Um, I believe that the first idea, um, from what I've read, um, like the first installment was going to be something like Ghostbusters in Hell or Ghostbusters Hellbent. Um, something to do with that. There's not like really a clear idea. Um, it's kind of a lot of things to do with the Ghostbusters and hell, and even like Manhattan being called Manhelton, which really didn't go over well with Billy. Um, after being unpleased with the initial sequel, it's easy to see why um, he took more than a few years to ever thinking about doing a third one. So this... Um, this Billy being unsatisfied with Ghostbusters 2 was the 
um, ultimate reason behind why the reinvention of the uh, franchise was done with an all-female cast. Um, think what you will of um, the 2000, it was 2016, right? Yeah, 2016 film, um, the new Ghostbusters. I'll go on record to say I really enjoyed the new Ghostbusters. I did too, really. And I'm glad that they went the route that they did, honestly. Like, I'm glad that it didn't go with uh, the original guys. I thought that it was funny and that's what it was supposed to be, but exactly. also a loving tribute to the original. Exactly. And um, I think it says a lot. I'm going along with that. I think it says um, a lot and it's pretty special that pretty much all of the same main actors, except for like Annie Potts and Rick Moranis, um, all did cameo roles. Even Billy, who at the end was not reluctant at all for his part. Um, I thought that that says something incredibly special about it and that everybody was like, okay, we're not doing one with all of us as the main characters, but we're going to endorse the hell out of this and it's going to be okay. Um, now, getting back to Ghostbusters 2, personally, I'm always really going to like it. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I grew up on it and knew it by heart. Um, yes, there's the introduction of the mood slime, uh, concept that really didn't strike fear into the, um, hearts of Americans. Um, the special effects were not as scary as the original, uh, kind of more cartoon-like, which also kind of correlated at the same time, um, with the cartoon, the real Ghostbusters. Uh, so it was kind of like more cartoony, just like more palatable, less real as the 1984 original version. Um, so I think Billy is right um, that the sequel didn't have the same brilliant magic as the first film. Um, but what could really ever touch that classic, in my opinion, even if it's by the same writers or same director? Probably nothing. So, Billy, you write about the sequel but it doesn't mean that I don't own two copies of it and watch it every time it's on TV. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Ghostbusters 2, it's, uh, I think we both come from different angles, um, but we can both agree it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it is what it is. I don't know. I, I'm never going to not watch it. If yeah. it's on TV, like I'm going to be like, oh yeah, Ghostbusters 2, sure. Yeah, bam, bam, yeah. put it on. Um, it's not a bad movie. It might be cheesy. Bill Murray might think that it sucks for like whatever reason. And, and it's different when you're involved with a movie that you can feel like, um, you know, it's different when you're involved with the movie and you can, um, see the intricate details of things involved yeah. and be like, Oh, this is not the same as before. But you know, that's like different from a first time viewer or someone that just loves the franchise that is willing to accept anything that's given to them. Yeah. And I think honestly, like that's what I was as someone that loved the first movie so much and like my favorite movie of all time going on record, favorite movie of all time, first Ghostbusters. Um, the sequel, it could be the biggest piece of crap out there and I would still find something yeah. like redeeming in it but I don't even think it, that it's that like I, I there is a lot of redeeming qualities in the sequel yeah um I don't side with Billy on that but uh um I'm sure it could have been better in his eyes yeah. maybe everyone's eyes uh, so it's time to start closing out here uh Lindsay thanks again for uh sharing your uh, personal experiences with the film Working Girl. I'm really glad that uh, we were able to pick one of your favorite films to do for this episode. I mean, it, it's a movie that uh, above um, a lot of movies that we, that we talk about, it is something that, that's very practical and very like real life. So yeah, I'm glad to reinvigorate maybe people to see this movie and i like what you pointed out like if you said you if you've recently been fired from a movie um <laughs> you know yeah. this is a movie that i saw for the first time like not having ever worked in my life like as a kid yeah. so watching this movie after having worked for like 20 years it it, it has a larger impact yeah. and again it's like 
it, it, it's like the Rocky movie of like <laughs> trying to get, you know, trying yeah. to get the, trying to get the job of your dreams. You're trying yeah. to like achieve that goal that I think most Americans want, most people want. And that's like doing something that you enjoy and getting paid for it. You know yeah. I mean? As simple as that. Yeah. And I think this movie taps into that a little bit and shows us that world in a way that's fascinating and interesting and um it's it's it, you know like you said earlier like a little bit fairy tale but yeah. is believable and entertaining all wrapped up into one movie i've always liked that you've likened it to rocky because it it is just i mean by the essence of its name like having girl in the title like it is it gives off the essence of being like a feminine movie or something that only would appeal to um female identified folks um but i i think that um that's not necessarily true and it's just really anyone that is in this position of of um any type of gender minority sexual orientation whatever you whatever you are anyone that is marginalized and feels like they have to really climb to the top to make it and to get by um i feel like this movie is is such a good representation of that and yeah did work for me when i <laughs> when i got fired um thanks for sitting through that story and oh. yeah 100 percent true and if you're <laughs> and if you're a listener who is younger and this is a film that you haven't seen and you watched it, um, please email us because I'm I'm actually curious. Like you know, in the working force today, if you're just starting out, how this movie plays to you. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at don't push pause podcast at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if you're not already following us, we're on Instagram, don't push pause podcast, Facebook, don't push pause podcast. Um, or you can just go to us directly at don'tpushpausepodcast.com. Uh, we love hearing from people. Um, we really it's, do. It's always great. Thank you, guys. Uh, from movie to movie, it, it's interesting when we hear uh, a thought from somebody, like what movies drive them. Or uh, there's always someone that, that poses yeah. a suggestion, and sometimes uh, you know we already have it in the works or we take it under consideration, a movie that we might do in the future. Yeah. And uh, next podcast, we're sticking with our summer, kind of like summer theme, but we're like kind of like end of summer or like kind of like summer fading out. We're going to do uh, Stand By Me, which I always kind of feel it's such a touching movie, but uh, I always think of it as like the end of summer. It's like that that ritual of things that, that I do like. Dead of Summer, I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The end of summer, <laughs> virtually, I watched Stand By Me. It's one of the last things you do before. In between that, you get a job at a high corporate facility, right? Yeah, Working that's, girl. that's what I do. Uh, that's what yeah, you do. Yeah. But Stand By Me, I can't wait for that one. I don't know how many times I saw that as a kid growing yeah. up, but it, it is such a great coming-of-age mo- movie. Yeah. And um, if you haven't seen it, It'd, it'd be cool if you could check it out before the podcast, but if not, I mean, we're going to tell you about it anyway. Yeah, I would think it's one of the of all the movies we've done, I would think it would be the one that's the most well-known, but maybe not. It's yeah. hard to say. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what tra- what's his, what has carried over yeah. you know, to, yeah. the, to the next generation, not to sound like an old... No, no, I mean, that's one of the things, like us jumping around to different genres and different years. It's like, who knows who's seen what, like... You know, you haven't seen this horror movie, but maybe you've seen Stand By Me or right. Working Girl because of your mom. Um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to tell. So um, Stand By Me, though, I feel like, um, I mean, I, I feel like with any coming of age movie, you, you always feel closer to that one. So that's why I say if you haven't seen it, and you, you know, are listening to our podcast, try to check it out before you listen to us. It's not a necessity. It's yeah. just because it's a really great movie. Um, and it's it's just um, nostalgic yeah, and uh, heartwarming. That's all. Well, uh, we uh, hope to hear from you and um, excited for the next podcast. Um, until then, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reber. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, guys.